0: The late leadership guru, uh, Peter Drucker, he said something interesting. He said, the leader of the past was the one who could give all the right answers, but the leader of the future will be the one who asks all the right questions.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I've got a treat today. My brother, who I am now calling the question doctor, literally just finished the process of getting his doctorate all around the idea of questions and how questions form and shape us. So talking to the question doc today, uh, but before the conversation, we wanted to read a couple of reviews. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this, getting the word out there, texting the episode to your friends, but we wanted to read a few reviews first. This is from Reverend Fresh, a five-star review. He says, love the content they bring. It's an excellent
2: source of strength and encouragement as a leader. And this one's from Joffrey, who says it's honest and practical, a five-star review. He says, so thankful for Alan and David as they have enriched my life through their podcast. Super honest, practical, and wise leadership advice from two seasoned vets. Keep up the good work. And guys, if this is resonating with you, we would love for you to leave us a
1: review that helps us get more exposure. And David and I just want to get this into more and more earbuds. I have conversations all the time of people saying, whoa, thank you guys for talking about things that really nobody else is talking about in leadership. We realize these are not the sexiest topics out there. They may not grow your church, your organization, your business, uh, but they will grow you. And as goes the leader, so goes the organization. This is so important to us, guys. So, uh, David, as we think about questions, obviously you and I have an affinity for questions. We coach people, we consult with teams, and we primarily do that through deep questions. And we're kind of going to push into Jesus, and Jesus' response to a question was often a question. Um, Why do you think questions are so formative to our hearts?
2: Well, the expose things that maybe we haven't thought about. They open up blind spots. They get us thinking about things that maybe were assumptions to us or we've never wrestled with. And we take a lot of things for granted in life in general, but also within leadership, that there are things that we've learned or you know, maybe things that we've practiced that have never been challenged. And then when a question comes into our line of sight or into our ears, um, it's a conviction Right. It convicts us to to think differently about something and maybe adjust the way we've been doing things. And for the most part, questions, I think, do better at that than, you know, a statement, maybe a judgmental statement versus a a question that opens your eyes towards things, I think, tend to um, produce life change in a way um, that other things that other things don't. Yeah, questions tend to produce life change in a way that statements don't. Yeah, you said it, man. I mean, life change, that's what we're after. We're literally in the
1: transformation business if you work for any nonprofit and even businesses today. Like if you are not changing someone's life in some way, then people will stop buying your product, tracking along with you, giving to your cause, showing up at your events, whatever that is. We are in the transformation business today Uh, And I just love the idea that questions can shape so much of that. I spend a good portion of my week. I mean, sometimes half of my week asking people questions, coaching them along to their next decision, not just advice giving, not just training or teaching. And there's a place for that, but really deeply forming and shaping people in questions. So I make fun of my brother quite often. I mean, he's my brother and uh, you can decide who's older, wiser or better looking on your own, we always joke around about these things, but I deeply admire and look up to my brother, and I love this conversation about questions from the question doctor himself. Enjoy my conversation with my brother, J.R. Briggs. Well, guys, this is a fun episode for me. On the other end of the line today is my brother, and because you can't see us today, I'm gonna to let you suspend judgment on who is both older, and better looking. There's always debate on this, and I don't think we need to solve it for people today. So, JR, without revealing that, tell us a little bit about yourself, some of the things that you are excited about, and uh, some of the things that, that you've been doing in this season.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Alan. It certainly is fun to partner together with uh, my own flesh and blood and to do a project like this on this conversation. So, yeah so i uh, I live uh, here uh, with my wife and two kids in the Philadelphia area, and I started an organization called Kairos Partnerships. Kairos is one of the Greek words for time of God sort of breaking in, and so we want to partner with hungry kingdom leaders who are really looking for equipping encouragement perspective training, and so we do that in a variety of ways on our team uh, through coaching consulting speaking writing I'm a seminary professor. Um, uh, write, I've written several books, so anything that will equip uh, leaders and and Jesus's church, uh, we want to be able to do that. And uh, but we also work with others. I work with the the women's uh, world champion disc golf uh, uh, athlete, and uh, Chick fil A operators, and presidents of colleges. So it's kind of a wide variety of leaders that I serve. But if they're hungry and they really want to lean in and learn more, I want to work with them. So was a pastor for 15 years prior to that. And so I I basically say it's like I moved from being an ER doctor to now working at a teaching hospital. And uh, I like being in the teaching hospital, training future doctors to be in the ER. So that's, that's what I do now.
1: You are recently a doctor. So congratulations. Maybe you hear it first publicly here, Dr. Briggs joining us on the podcast today. Tell us about that journey. What did you study? What did you dig into and kind of ring out in the process of getting your doctorate?
0: Yeah. So uh, three years ago, started a journey uh, for what's called a doctor of ministry degree. So it's basically like a a theological doctorate and um, worked on that and never thought after my master's, never thought in a million years I'd go back to school. Um, others mentioned it. Uh, my wife Megan, for years said, "You should go back to school you you would be great at this. you would really enjoy it and while I'm a learner, I just did not want to go back to formal schooling anymore and through a series of really creative, unique doors and opportunities opening up i found myself saying how can i not do this based on some creative arrangements and thought okay so for 3 years i've been working in the doctor of ministry or as they're called a d min degree you have to say it slowly so you don't say you have a demon degree but a d min and the demon uh, the demon so i um yeah just on monday defended my dissertation and uh walked out of the oral review uh with my panel my committee all approving and saying we accept this as is. Congratulations, Dr. Briggs. So that was a really special moment just this past Monday. So I'm feeling a little bit tired, but I'm excited and relieved um, by the process of the last three years leading up to, uh, to Monday afternoon. So um, the, the topic of my dissertation was actually training leaders in asking better questions to equip them to lead better. And uh, that was a really fun process, read over 200 books just on questions and question asking. Uh, I have written a small book on it, but this obviously was more on the other end of a more academic side with this dissertation. And um, actually, part of it was developing a curriculum for leaders to actually use within their small groups or other leaders as leader training. And then I tested and implemented that and then came back with what worked and what didn't. Didn't, And that was part of my research in my dissertation itself.
1: I'm picturing you defending your dissertation. Like it's sitting on a table, you've got a shield, a sword. I'm sure it was nothing quite like that, but man, congrats. Uh, that's been a journey. We've talked about this for a long time. And I think I mentioned it on this podcast, but once a year, my brother, dad, and I do something called City a Year. And we go to a B-rated city. And um, for a list of those, shoot me an email. I'd be glad to explain some of our favorites. But we just have a blast. We kind of do urban exploring. And every year, there seems to be some new risk that you or I are taking. And so it's always a blast to throw this off. And and our dad is a wealth of wisdom as well. And the three of us just kind of talk through that. So it's been really fun to watch the development process. Not as fun, I'm sure, for you to go through it, but congrats. (laughs) Um, That's huge. You have always been, as long as I can remember, when I was a shaggy little blonde kid, um, you've always been fascinated by learning is one of those kind of themes in your life. But this question theme, um, when did this start and why are you so fascinated by questions?
0: yeah that's a great question that many people have asked me, and i 'm not sure I have a definitive answer i 've got a few things I keep reaching for um, that I believe are are getting there, but i haven 't quite gotten to the bottom of it. I think some of this is nature and nurture. I think that God has just made me to be a curious person. I am a learner doesn 't mean i 'm brilliant; it just means I find great joy when I learn and when I'm curious. And part of asking good questions is being curious and learning from other people. And so I think that's just my own divine wiring, number one. Number two, you and I have had a great model, um, mom and dad, especially dad. Dad is a great question asker. And just seeing dad modeling that growing up of just bumping into people, whether it's a cashier at a restaurant or a waiter, or just someone on the street, someone he just met, or an old friend, He's just really good at crafting questions. And he asked us great questions. And I think when I saw what that did and created trust and interesting conversations with people, I said, you know, there's something to this question thing. But the leadership guru, um, the late leadership guru, uh, Peter Drucker, he said something interesting. He said, the leader of the past was the one who could give all the right answers. But the leader of the future will be the one who asks all the right questions. And it was, I remember when I first read that thinking, yes, that's it. And I remember thinking, nobody is talking about this. Nobody is training people how to ask great questions. Um, There are very few people when you say, who comes to your mind when you think of a great question asker, a lot of people scratch their head and say, I have no idea. No one comes to mind. And yet we would all say when someone asks us a good question, we feel welcomed, we feel loved, we feel known, we feel pushed and stretched. Uh, we're, we're, we're entering into really creative and interesting and fascinating conversations. So that's what I wanted to dig into on my research. And the more I dug into it, the more I realized, wow, there is a lot here. And this is just really fun. So, uh, so I loved it. It was, it was a great process. And one one thing that I think
1: is funny is how we never set out to do this, but we were actually doing some similar things, but it expresses itself in completely different ways. You guys have a podcast, uh, Monday Morning Pastor, and we'd love for you to share a little bit about that. But I'm just getting these flashbacks that my dad had this huge camera growing up. And after our baseball games, he would do these interviews of us. And yeah. he, he would, I mean, huge camera, like this thing weighed like 57 pounds. It's on his right shoulder And he had this huge mustache and, you know, it was the 80s. And he would interview us and ask us these questions. And I remember um, there was a moment where it clicked and I thought, huh, you and I, for whatever reason, have ended up in front of cameras and we love questions, we love podcasts. And I've got to think that that shaped us. And some of those games were not great games for us. And we were kind of laughing through the questions. But I really do think that that shaped us. And uh, in many ways, sometimes it's time to go. I'm like, Dad, stop, you know, stop talking. And he's not an extrovert, but he is just so focused on those questions. And, and to this day, I think he sharpens us with those. So tell us about Monday Morning Pastor and your heart for pastors.
0: Yeah, uh, we it's a podcast. My friend and uh, and colleague, Doug Moister, uh, I planted a church and then uh, Doug served on staff with us after the church was planted. And uh, a few years ago, when I transitioned to just training leaders full-time, passed the church off to Doug. And so he's leading that Um, leading our church now. And so Doug said, hey, why don't we partner together on this thing called Monday Morning Pastor? The hardest day of the week for a pastor is Monday mornings. And so that's when they're depleted, they're down, they're discouraged. And so what if that was a time where it was raw but hopeful and really addressing what does soul care and health look like in the life of a pastor. I, and it's been great. We're in season two and, and loving it, having a ball. Um, he and I have a conversation. We always interview somebody and then have, uh, questions and resources at the end, just in about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and, uh, we really love it. It's it's been a lot of fun and uh, really encouraged to hear uh, from people around the country, even the world, that are enjoying that as you have as well on your podcast. Um, but I think what's been surprising is the majority of people listening are non pastors, and uh, I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe they want to know what the life of a pastor is like, but they uh, but they um they they've been in, enjoying that, and we really are enjoying connecting with with our listeners as well. So just to make sure that pastors and other other ministry and Christian leaders are just saying, wow, I'm not alone. I'm supported. Health is an option. This is a hard calling, but it's worth it. So it's hmm. been a lot of fun. So on kind of the questions and podcast side of things, what do you
1: think makes for a good interview? We've all heard terrible interviews and you and I have shared some of those people we will not name on this podcast that we're not big fans of when they interview people. Um, and we've heard just some great Interviewers, but what do you think makes for an amazing interview?
0: Well, well, something that Dale Carnegie said. He said, "Don't try to be interested, or don't be interesting. Be interested." And I think that's that's ninety percent of it. If you're genuinely curious and interested, that's more than half the battle. So that's number one. Number two is you've got to be involved. But some of the worst interviewers are either too involved or not involved enough where sometimes the interviewers, they just, uh, they, they need to step in and lead. They need to initiate with questions. Others, and even some very famous people we all would know, I think are terrible interviewers, even though they're famous. But even though they're interviewing somebody else, it's about them, which is the cardinal sin of interviewing. It can never be about you when you're the interviewer. It's always about the guest. And that should always be the case, whether we have a podcast or a a television show or radio show or whatever it may be, just care for other people, put the focus on them, not on you. And that's, that's a pet peeve. I will quickly tune, tune out and turn off somebody who is interviewing someone else, but they quickly or even subtly make it about themselves, not the person that they're talking to. So those are, those are two things. The third thing is you don't have to be, um, researched, you don't have to be well-prepared, that doesn't hurt, but you just need to be present and engaged. You just have to give a full-bodied yes to the person that's in front of you. And I think if we're able to do those three things, that, that can make for a great interviewer and a very interesting conversation.
2: Hey, David here. We're taking a break from our conversation because we want to share something exciting with you. This podcast has been an awesome journey for Alan and I. We were dreaming about it at a coffee shop in Colorado Springs, and we were just thinking about the kind of conversations we were having in coaching. And the leaders that we were coaching were battling with anxiety, feeling confused. They were tired on the edge of burnout, feeling overwhelmed with their leadership. And so we were having these same kind of conversations, and we're thinking, you know what? I don't think these are just problems Where we're at with the people we're coaching. I think these are probably universal problems that leaders are struggling with. And so the Right Side Up Leadership podcast was born. It's all about having conversations centered around our personal health. Oftentimes we're chasing after impact and it leads us to unhealthy rhythms and an unhealthy life. And we want to start with our health first and have impact flow from that. So, Since we've loved the podcast, and we think that these conversations have resonated with so many different leaders all across the country. In fact, 37 different countries, if we're keeping track. And so in 2020, we decided to double the episodes that we were bringing out each week. And we want to continue to bring you these conversations. So here's how you can support us. We have created a Patreon page. Uh, Patreon is a membership platform where you can directly support this podcast, and we've set up several tiers that you can support us at, Um, starting all the way down at $5 a month and all the way up at $75 a month. And each tier has a list of rewards. This can start with a personal shout out on the podcast or being able to ask us questions for our upcoming Q&A episodes each month. The higher tiers can include a right side up leadership journal, a stay forth hammock or coaching calls with Alan and me. We're going to be launching the page March 1st, and so we'll be giving you more and more information about that in the coming episodes. The page will be live on March, March 1st, and so we'll be able to give you a link to that page if you want to support us in that way. We're already so thankful for how you guys are tracking along with us, how you're engaging with the podcast and the conversations that we're having. This is just one more way for you to support the conversations that we're having on the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. So now back to the conversation. All right. So overall, it uh, doesn't matter
1: podcast, um, you know, a public interview, a private conversation with somebody, a fire pit, a cup of coffee. Um, do you have any pocket questions that you just kind of keep in your pocket and you just kind of love going back to?
0: Yes and no. Uh, I'm going to answer that two ways. Some I do have, and when I when I lead several trainings, and I do this regularly, I did this one Monday before defending my, my dissertation, is um, training people to have five or ten questions in your back pocket you could ask anybody at any time for any reason. You don't know what to say, you just memorize, or maybe you have on the notes section of your phone five to 10 that you could pull out at any time. So yes, there, no, on the other side, because there are so many other questions we have to ask first before we get into what kind of questions should we ask. So I call it the question behind the question. So questions like, so who am I talking to? Number two, what is my motive? That can, that can weed out uh, a lot of bad questions <laughs> or bad conversations. The other one is, does this person want to be asked questions? There are times I've been really curious and I've asked a lot of questions of people and I realized too late in the conversation, you know, they kind of want to just be left alone. You know, maybe they're an introvert and they just kind of wanted the time to themselves or they're just not in the mood to open up. Um, they may not be as excited about this as I am. And so I've got to ask myself a series of questions behind that, uh, like, is, is this the right time to ask a question? But to answer your original question, yeah, I, I I have found that when you talk to people about their passions, they really open up. But you can't just come out and say it to a stranger, what are your passions or what do you love to do? Or if you had a free weekend to do whatever you want, what would you do? If someone gave you a free plane ticket to go any place in the world, where would you go for a week? If it was fully fully funded. So those are some fun ones. Or we spend so much time at our job, I don't like to just ask, like, so what do you do? But to say things like, on a scale of one to 100, one, you hate your job, 50, it's okay, 100, you just absolutely love it. What number would you give on the passion meter about what, how you spend your day, Monday through Friday? Um, and they might say, I don't know, 40. And then I might follow up with, well, what kind of job would you love to be in that would be at 80 or 90 or maybe even 95 on the passion on the passion meter? And that always opens up to great conversations with people. So those are a few of my favorites.
1: Awesome. Well, you're so good at asking questions and really in many ways, your curiosity, you've built um Kairos around your curiosity. What's God doing in this person's life? So just so encouraged to to watch what you're doing. Something that I am so pumped about and I'm so proud of you for is kind of this braiding together of some of your passions. You just released something called the Hall of Tyrannus. And I want to talk about that. I want you to just like tee it up and, and share your heart. Speaking of your passion on that, but you've braided these kind of four themes together, making Christ known, equipping leaders, the persecuted church is a huge passion of yours and Education, you are a learner. So how does the Hall of Tyrannus and the recent initiative that you guys have released, how does that kind of braid those four things together?
0: Yeah, you know, all of these four passions actually came together because of a conversation that dad and I had together when we were in Istanbul, Turkey this past May. And we're sitting there and and dad asked the question. So now that you've got graduation coming up, you're going to be graduating, you know, hopefully with your, with your doctorate soon, what's next? What do you want to do? And in the midst of that conversation, we got talking and, um, and I just asked this question aloud while we were, I still can, it was on, we were eating on this beautiful restaurant over a beautiful bridge over the Bosphorus river in Istanbul as the lights, the, the sun was setting. It was awesome. And I just asked aloud, what if I took these four passions, the four passions you just mentioned, Alan, what if I took these four passions and smushed them all together and then used my graduation from uh, the school I'm at, Missio Seminary here in the Philadelphia area, as a catalyst to help other people experience what I just experienced? And so, It was those four passions squishing together that came out to be what's called the Hall of Tyrannus Initiative. And it actually comes out of a passage in Acts 19. And ironically enough, on that trip to Turkey, we went to the ancient city of Ephesus, where Paul has his adventures in Acts 19. And in it, he said he entered the synagogue and he talked boldly there for three months, and he was arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Um, But then it says, but some of them were obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly aligned Christianity. And so it says Paul left and he took his disciples with him and he had discussions every day in a lecture hall called the Hall of Tyrannus. And he did this for two years and there were Greeks and there were Jews who lived in that area um, that heard about the word of the Lord because he lectured daily in the Hall of Tyrannus. Now, we actually visited the hall or this Ephesus. They haven't found the hall of Tyrannus um, in all their excavations of the ancient city of Ephesus. But I've always been fascinated by that idea of Paul taking his disciples, having these daily discussions of training and equipping of people who are being persecuted. And uh, in some ways I've kind of felt like that's what we do with Kairos partnerships. And so I've been fascinated with the idea of the hall of Tyrannus. And so It was during that trip that all four of those passions coming together, this big dream was birthed on that trip. And the big dream is to fund, now that I'm done with my education, my D-min, to fund the entire education for 100 pastors at Bible schools and seminaries in poor countries and regions of the world that are hostile to Christianity. Since I am so passionate about the persecuted church and education, and learning, and equipping others, and seeing Christ in His name known. I just thought, what if all of those came together? And so a lot of times when people graduate from seminary, or graduate from school, any school really, um, a lot of people give them gifts or cash as a way of congratulating them on their accomplishment. And as you know, Alan, I'm just not a gift guy. I mean, if my family didn't give me any presents for Christmas, I, I don't even know if I would notice. Uh, it's really down there on my love languages, gifts are number five. Uh, at the bottom. But but when I graduate, uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I definitely want gifts and cash. In fact, I want a huge pile of it. <laughs> and that sounds really selfish or greedy or unabashedly direct on the surface. But uh, I actually want lots of graduation gifts and cash, but I don't want to keep a dime of it for myself. So the initiative was to say, will you celebrate with me by helping fund these Uh, these pastors and we've identified a hundred pastors in two schools one in india one in pakistan and uh, we actually are allowing people to uh, basically sponsor a particular student for two years and so that we can give them their name we can give them a picture we can give them their age and we've got uh, men and women students in both india and in pakistan in these two particular bible schools and so we can't give out their name or even their city location publicly because of the fact that they are persecuted and because the school, um, we have to be very careful because there are people even on the internet that are, are, uh, are radical Hindus. Uh, I've, I've gotten several tweeted at me already, um, radical Hindus, uh, speaking out against how terrible they think what we're doing with the hall of Tyrannus. So I'm even feeling it here in Philadelphia, so we have to be careful with them. But just, I have so much respect, so much respect for those who are willing to risk uh, their lives uh, to be able to go to school just because they, they want to just know and learn about Jesus. And there's one image that just won't leave me, and that's that one day in heaven, all of the persecuted Christians and martyrs those who have died for their faith, they will they will be sitting at tables reserved for VIPs at the banquet. These special seats up front in order to be honored. And I have much to learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters. They inspire me. I want to spend time with them. And uh, they just, uh, it's just what they're doing is just unbelievable. And I think what I love about this is it's multiplicative in nature. Instead of just giving people fish, uh, it's You know, you've heard that, give people fish, you can teach them how to fish, uh, or you can teach them how to fish. Um, In a sense, I feel like there are fishing ponds that we've identified, and on the shore of these ponds are dozens of these leaders who are eager to learn how to fish, and we've identified people who want to teach others to be fishermen, but there's just one major obstacle in the way. These eager learners don't have fishing poles or the ability to pay for fishing equipment So, how can we teach them how to fish? And so, for me, I'm thinking, gosh, what we're trying to do is just buy fishing supplies and fishing equipment for them because we have access to ponds. They just don't have the ability to do it because they don't have the right equipment. And um, so, that's why I'm super excited about these two places in India and in Pakistan that we can do something about it. So, the really cool thing is we launched it um, just this week and we've already got you know, five or six uh, students sponsored fully um, through pay already paid their two years all up front. Um, So it's really, really, really exciting. And I've cried a lot. Um, As you know, Alan West Stafford, the the president emeritus at Compassion International said everybody needs a cause that moves them to tears in 30 seconds or less. And there are very few spaces when I've talked about this where I haven't cried. Uh, And I've done a lot of crying this week as we've launched this. And this is Bringing me to tears very quickly, especially when you have anything where four passions come together in one initiative. This is what happens.
1: Well, man, I'm I'm so proud of you, and I'm actually blown away um, by a couple things. Is number one how cheap it is compared to our seminaries and and our schooling. To get them equipped and how little equipping is there for for them. I mean we could go read you know a number uh-huh. of books, sit down with other pastors, probably get access to a, a seminary professor maybe audit some kind of class. If you know you're in the states and you want theological training, you can somehow figure out a way to be able to do it and to be able to learn at least and to be able to get some training, maybe an apprenticeship, uh, but this literally changes their lives. It changes churches and equips them. And they are just so hungry. So uh, the goal is $88,000, which feels either like a lot or a little, if you know how much seminary can be. Um, I'm praying for 100. It just feels like a great, easy number, um, and an even number. And um, so if you are interested in this, we will leave that link in the show notes. You can go to kairospartnerships.org and see a little bit what is doing, but see a link to this, man. I'm so excited for you and proud of you, and um, I heard this question: What breaks your heart and baffles your mind? And I think that's in that you know calling piece of that. That's in that passion piece of that. We always want to end Jr. with a question. We want to get really personal with our guests. We are about health and impact. We want to see leaders go the distance, and we want to remind you: you don't have to lose your soul in the process. To be a leader does not mean that you have to burn out. Uh, or flame out in the process. So, uh, what are some practical ways that you stay healthy amidst some of the crazy seasons of life?
0: Yeah, boy, that's that's really important, and certainly the leaders we work with, we we talk with them about this uh, ad nauseum because it's so important. Um, one of the things that we help leaders with, and that I do myself, is what I call a replenishment cycle, and we look at a diagram of like physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and just saying first of all, what fills your tank. And then how can we create habits or even micro habits, which are just a constellation of these micro habits that develop into a bigger habit that can help replenish you. And um, so that's, that's been a really helpful exercise. So for me personally, on the physical side, I have learned, I, I really love swimming. I'm not very fast, but uh, Megan and I did two sprint triathlons and I realized I hate running and biking is okay, but I fell in love with swimming laps. So I do that three days a week. Uh, which is great love love doing that i've got to be in bed by eleven thirty, and i just know in terms of my own rhythms that's that's uh physically what i need to be doing and uh most of the time i i uh i don't eat meat until uh after 5 p.m in other words go meatless uh, smoothies and salads uh until until dinner time and then whatever whatever we our family normally eats for dinner that's i just enjoy that whether it has meat or not So on a physical side, that helps me on an emotional side of just making sure I'm connecting with people. Um, I journal regularly. I think that that really helps me, including, uh, just having a gratitude journal, five things every day. I start out, God, I'm grateful for dot, 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 do that five different times. And, uh, that's a great way for me to, for me to be involved in that, um, on a on a mental side, uh, I love uh, I love reading, and so it's really important for me to be reading and learning. Again, I'm a learner, so whether that's formal education, now that that's done, um, there's always TED talks or classes I can audit, or conferences, or webinars, or books that just fascinate me. So always uh, at least thirty minutes every day to to make sure that I'm that I'm reading either in the morning or at night, uh, doing that. And then on a spiritual side, uh, making sure that I'm in God's word. And so I read a Psalm a day. I read the proverb, whatever the date today's, you know, whatever the date of, of today is, I match that to the, the, the proverb. And, uh, currently I'm, I'm in the book of Matthew. So doing that regularly is really important. Being connected to our local church is really important. Being connected with others in community is really important. So those are some ways, some guardrails, uh, to keep me from uh, driving off the cliff in terms of a lack of health in my own life and uh, ways that we help others.
1: Awesome. Well, congratulations, Dr. Briggs. I know it's been a long process. Can't wait to see what doors that opens up. And I'm so excited about the Hall of Tyrannus initiative. You can go to kairospartnerships.org. You can find that in the show notes if you want to support the Hall of Tyrannus or see what they're up to at Kairos. Proud of you, man. Excited for you. And now's probably the time to break it. I know you said you didn't want any gifts. I know you love swimming. And so the unicorn Speedo is in the mail. I guess it just hasn't gotten there yet. So very soon it will be there. All right, man. Uh, so super well, excited you. for you. Proud of you. We'll <laughs> <laughs> Keep keep up the good work. And I uh, cannot wait to see uh, these. how many of these leaders get sponsored. And ultimately, lives and communities are changed because we keep up the good work, man.
0: Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later.
1: Well, I don't know anybody who can't work on their question asking. For me, it's been a discipline to hold back, hold back, hold back instead of on statements to really think about a carefully placed question, which ultimately has brought life change. And David, I don't know about you, but I have been up many nights in my life with that one burning question that somebody asked Mm -hmm. me that ultimately maybe messed with me at the time, but was a gift to me, some of the best sermons I've ever preached, I thought there was just one question that I left people with. And um, it was very, very simple. But the way that Jesus formed and shaped people was also very, very simple. And I think we can learn a thing or two from the master himself. So I just want to leave you with a question after we've talked so much about questions, is how can you improve in the area of asking questions? How can you improve in the area of asking questions? Is that conversation with your kids in the car on the way home? Is that having a conversation at the end of the day with your husband? Is that listening more? But how can you improve in asking questions? This is just one of those skills, David, that I believe leaders of this age and the next are going to have to be able to cultivate
2: conversation through questions. Yeah, it's so important that we remain curious as leaders. That's how we're going to continue to keep learning and show people value that we're interested in them and that we're asking them questions, not just, you know, demanding things of them. So I love this episode. I loved what JR had to say. And it's so important for us to remain curious as leaders. And we want to remind you guys to be looking for our Patreon page that we are launching in about a week. We're going to launch it in the first week of March, that first Tuesday. Um, And that is a page for you to continue to further engage with us and, and even partner with us if you want to do so in the work that we're doing on the podcast. But stay forth as a whole. But uh, we have been so thankful for you uh, as this community that we've built. It's not just an audience of listeners, but we really feel like there's a community that's coming behind these conversations. And so we are enriched by the things that we talk about, and we just pray that you are as well. And so um, please share the podcast um, with your friends and family who uh, would find any of this stuff uh, encouraging and challenging and life-giving. Um, That's how we get found is through you guys sharing and reviewing and rating the podcast. Um, That is how this uh, community has continued to grow. So thank you for following along with us on this journey of health and leadership. And So we'll see you in the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast.